Denise, thank you. Uh, let me pray for us uh, as we come to these words. Shall we pray? Our loving Father, as we think about our partnership today uh, here in London, uh, across the world, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. We pray that in this passage we would find great hope, a hope that unites us in our different situations in life and ministry, uh, a hope that spurs us on uh, to heaven and all that is promised for us there. And if we're new uh, to these things, uh, maybe looking in at the Christian faith, would you help us to see what it is Jesus Christ has done and what it is to share in gospel partnership? So help us, we pray now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, look, it's a bit of a cliche, I guess, used to describe all sorts of things. Uh, but when it comes to the Christian life, to say that it's a marathon... Uh, not a sprint, is, I think, in so many ways, absolutely uh, true. I don't, I don't know if you've ever run a marathon. I, I imagine, I'm guessing there's one or two here, maybe, who've done a marathon, or maybe a few. Uh, I've done one, only one, ran the, the London Marathon five years ago. And um, if you've done it, you'll know it's a brilliant day. Um, uh, if ever I'm asked, you know, the happiest days of your life sort of thing, uh, you know, with my wife, always, if she's present, I'll always say it's my wedding day, the birth of our children. Um, but obviously off the record, amongst friends, somewhere this morning, you know, the London Marathon would be there or thereabouts. It is a brilliant day. Thousands turn out, huge occasion. You know, it's a, it's a massive day if you've done it. And, and there's something, isn't there, absolutely wonderful uh, about being part of something so big and... And yet it hurts, you know, if you've done it, a marathon, any kind of endurance event. There's pain, isn't there? You've got to really dig in if you're going to make it to the finish. Uh, but what gets you through the pain, of course, is the prize, uh, the promise of the finish. Uh, and whether it's nailing the time you've said you're going to do or the money you're going to raise or, you know, family at the finish line or, or, or never mind the time. Maybe it's I'm just, I just want to do it. I don't care about the time. I just want to complete it. Whatever it is, what gets you through the pain is the prize. Uh, it's the suffering and then the glory. You know, any, any, and it varies with different events, doesn't it? A, a sprinter will tell you it's all about the start. You know, that's where the race is won. The marathon runner will tell you, no, no, it's all about your ability to suffer. That's what's going to get you through to the finish. And wherever we are on the map, that's kind of what we find with gospel partnership. I don't know what you were thinking as we saw those two films earlier on, I was struck by uh, just how different, how diverse each ministry situation is. Uh, I, mean, yeah, I mean, let's face it, when you go from kind of drug dealers on an estate to Claire Newman in Parliament, I mean, that pretty much covers most of it, doesn't it? Claire's, Claire's, Claire's an old friend of mine, I think I'm going to say. But there's wonderful sort of diversity, you know, government opposition, uh, you know, laws against Bible study through to MPs in Parliament and so on. Each situation so very different, and yet each one is exactly the same. Because the challenge each time is the same. Churches holding out the Gospel to people in need of the Gospel in a climate of fear and hostility and opposition. And so wherever we are on the map this morning, whether it's our mission partners around the world or or here at Christchurch Earlsfield with our brothers and sisters around us, or, or, or wherever it is. The situation's different, but the challenge is the same. Because we find ourselves facing all kinds of trials. Uh, in our reading, the Apostle Peter is writing 
to Christians facing all kinds of trials. And the situation facing the church then, it's the same as the one facing Christians today. Uh, Three words for us in verses 1 and 2 paint the picture. Peter's writing to God's elect, uh, so Christian believers, mainly Gentiles from a non-Jewish background, and he describes them first as exiles, which means they don't belong. Uh, They're they're strangers. They, they, They have a home in heaven, but for now they're foreigners and they don't belong. I guess it's the life of a refugee in, in much of Western Europe at the moment. You know, it doesn't fit in, doesn't belong. The message is pretty clear. Can't you just move on somewhere else? You make us a bit nervous. We don't really want you here. And if that's not hard enough, here's our second word. They're also scattered across what is basically now Turkey. So they're a tiny minority, but dispersed across a, a vast area, which of course means they feel weak, vulnerable. You know, what do you do in the face of opposition? Well, you, you stick together, don't you? Stay tight. Hard to do when you're scattered. So a group of Christians who don't belong, who are in a minority, they feel weak and vulnerable. It was a very different world 2,000 years ago. And yet exactly the same. Isn't it the case for Christians in London, for for our brothers and sisters across commission around the world, that we don't belong. We feel weak and vulnerable. And yet, there's one more word here. As God's elect, verse 2, these Christians have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, I don't know about you, how I feel about being chosen depends on kind of who's chosen me and what it's for, sort of thing. You want to work that out, don't you? Well, these first century Christians have been chosen by God for salvation. What an extraordinary privilege. Uh, The language points us back to the people of Israel in the Old Testament, God's chosen people. But Peter is now telling these Gentile believers that they too have been chosen and included in the gospel. And we won't get into all the language just here, but that is basically the message in verse 2. They've been chosen by God and set apart by the Spirit to follow Jesus Christ. It's only possible because of his death on the cross where Jesus paid for his sins with his blood. We need the sprinkling of his blood, but it means they've been saved through the gospel. And if we're trusting in the death of Jesus for our salvation, then it's the same for us. Exiled, scattered, chosen. We don't belong here, we feel weak. But we've been saved through the gospel. Three times in this passage we we find the word salvation. That That is what Christians have when they put their faith in Jesus. And Peter here tells us three things about this salvation. Three things, if you like, which which help us as we think this morning about our partnership in suffering for the gospel. And perhaps this morning, if you're not yet a Christian, maybe still looking into these things, you might be wondering, why do Christians put up with the flack that they get? I mean, why, why would you bother following Jesus today? Well, maybe these things will help answer that question. And the big idea this morning, as we think about our mission partners in the persecuted church, as we think about our own struggles following Christ here in London, the big idea is this. We need to remember where we're going. Okay, it's a marathon, not a sprint. We need to remember where we're going. 
So let's have a look. First then, we have a future inheritance. Let's read from verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. So writing to a suffering minority and yet Peter's first thought is to praise God. Now why would that be? Well it's because their salvation means they have a glorious inheritance to look forward to which can never be taken away from them. And it's the same for the Christian today. Peter describes it as new birth or being born again. That is new spiritual life which comes through faith in Christ. And when we're given this new birth, our eternity changes. Because new birth means a new future. I mean, very few of us, I mean, you know, none, well, none of us can choose where we were born. You know, in fact, there's very little about our birth that we can decide or dictate. That's true, isn't it? I mean, my wife was born in Watford. She will have that on her passport forever. She's just got to live there. I was born in Norfolk. I mean, if you have Norfolk in your passport, that essentially means you have webbed feet and you will probably only marry your cousin. That's how it works if you're from Norfolk. I can't do anything about that. Well, so too, new birth in the spiritual life. That has nothing to do with us. It is entirely down to God. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But can you see here, Peter says, God in his great mercy has given it to his people. And it means a new future. A future which Peter calls living hope. It's a very precious thing, isn't it? Hope. I mean, London is a city full of people searching for Hope. Every morning we get up, don't we? And we get onto the train and we go wherever it is we go and we're going out in search of hope. I guess for many of us we put our hopes, don't we, in our, our relationships, our careers, our, our, our quest for comfort and status or whatever it might be. And maybe at the start of a new year we're full of hope. But here's the thing about hope. Not all hope is the same. And often we find that our our hopes come to nothing. They come crashing down around us. Maybe that was your experience last year. Maybe in 2016, your hopes just came crashing down around you. And you, you know, we, we missed out on the promotion. We didn't get the mortgage we'd hoped for. Or the relationship didn't work out, or whatever it is. And it turned out ours was a vain hope. Peter, here, talks about living hope. And he says, that is what the Christian has. And it's living hope because it's based on a living saviour. It's made possible, he says, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And just as Jesus was raised to life with glory to come, so too God's chosen people have been given new life with glory to come. In the film Gladiator, that's quite an old film, you have to forgive me if you haven't seen it. But uh, there's, there's just a, a little moment where, where Cicero finds Maximus, Russell Crowe, uh, in prison in Rome. And he finds his friend alive and uh, still fighting for his freedom. And it's kind of a snatched conversation from behind bars. But just briefly, uh, Maximus tells him uh, to get the message out. He says, tell the men their general lives. Because he knows that's the message they need to hear. 
their general lives and with him hope lives and they'll rally to fight again once more. Maximus knows that. They need to know their general lives because then hope will live. And it's the same with the resurrection. Jesus lives and with him hope lives. And that means our inheritance is no longer a nice idea or something we hope might come off if everything works out. No, it means our inheritance is real. For the Israelites in the Old Testament, their inheritance was the promised land, which they hoped for whilst in slavery in Egypt. And that was a living hope because it became a reality, because God keeps his promises. Well, for New Testament believers... For those of us following Jesus today, our inheritance is an eternal salvation which can never perish, spoil or fade. Uh, Jesus himself spoke uh, in the Gospels of worldly treasures which moths and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal. But treasures in heaven, he said, are totally secure. They can't be stolen, destroyed. That is the thing sometimes, isn't it, with an inheritance. It can be gone before you can claim it. Uh, I read this week that uh, apparently one in ten, I reckon it's more than this, but the survey said one in ten adults in the UK worries that their parents will waste their inheritance before they can claim it. My mum and dad are retired, they're going on holiday this week. I just mentioned that statistic in passing. (laughs) But that can happen, can't it? Uh, I read that the investor Warren Buffett... uh, uh, chief exec of uh, a big American investment firm, Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, he's getting on a bit, 86 now. Um, uh, still going strong, but you know, his time will come. He's worth about 74 billion US. Now, he famously said years ago now, 30 years ago, that he was no great believer in dynastic wealth. Didn't really think it, it was a sort of good thing to hand big chunks of wealth down to the children. You can imagine the children may have a view on that, I don't know. They're probably wondering, what are we going to get you know, when dad finally goes? Will there be anything left or will the whole philanthropy thing have kind of, you know, spent it all? And inheritance can often be gone before we can claim it. And the thing about suffering for the gospel as we think about it this morning, and we've heard some of it on those films there, is that it usually involves something being taken away. It usually involves the loss of something. You know, so the loss of a building or, or, or the loss of support from from the diocese, or, or, or you know, a licence is taken away, or, or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's the minister's reputation is lost or damaged, or, or, or maybe just in our own day-to-day life, it's the loss of health, or the loss of a job, or the loss of our comforts. No wonder here then that Peter wants to remind these believers of the one thing that can never be taken away from them. Because that is the thing about our inheritance. As Christian believers, it's guaranteed. It is kept in heaven for you, says Peter, where nobody can touch it. And so it's safe. It's absolutely rock solid secure. Which means, I guess, for us in our different sort of settings across commission and further afield, you know, it means we lose our building, or the Church of England structures aren't supportive, maybe, or or, or, or maybe we're given a hard time at work, maybe even at home, for following Jesus. Or maybe the promotion doesn't work out, or the flat falls through, or, or we just, just life in London is just, it's just lonely, it's just a struggle. Well, all of those things are real, 
Make no mistake, all of those things are hard. But you know what? They're okay. They're okay because we have an inheritance kept in heaven for us. And not only is the inheritance kept in heaven for us, it is also the case, can you see it in verse 5, that we are kept for it. After all, what's the point of an inheritance kept securely in heaven if we don't get there to enjoy it? Well, Peter promises his readers that they will get there because, he says, they will be shielded by God's power all the way home. If someone's lobbing fireworks into your front room before a Bible study, you want to know that you will be shielded. Well, that's the message here. At the history again, it's an echo of God leading his people through the wilderness in the Old Testament. And in the same way for us as exiles in a foreign land, God will look after us through suffering and persecution all the way home to our inheritance in heaven. So can I encourage us this morning not to lose sight of our inheritance? It's a marathon, not a sprint. The big idea. We need to remember where we're going. So do you focus on the pain or the prize? Of course you focus on the prize and the glorious inheritance that awaits us at the finish. Strikes me that it's usually one of two things that stops the marathon runner from focusing on the prize, on the finish line. Uh, For some it's the struggle. Uh, You may have been there. It's It's the guy with the blisters, the burning lungs, the aching legs. You know, all he can think about is the pain. You know, he can barely put one foot in front of the other. He's so overwhelmed by the, the pain. The suffering is so bad that he's lost sight of the finish altogether. He's just, he's just thinking about when and where to quit, this mile or the next mile, sort of thing. For others, though, it's the fun. You know, it's the guy who just loves the occasion. He's, you know, it's the guy running in the chicken suit or, you know, some sort of fancy dress thing. Uh, when, when I did the marathon, in, uh, early miles in Bermondsey, Try as I might, there was a bottle of London Pride running in front of me that I could not overtake. I mean, I was just, there's just one rule, you know, in your first marathon. I'm not going to be, I, I've got to beat anyone in fancy dress sort of thing. And every time I sped up, this bottle of London Pride just kind of found another gear. Utterly humiliating sort of thing. Uh, but there's guys like that who are just having a great time and they've got their name on their outfit or whatever, so the crowds are cheering their name and they stop for selfies and they're high-fiving and they're just loving the moment. They don't want it to end. They don't want to get to, they're not even thinking about the finish because there's so much to enjoy in the moment. And I wonder if it's the same for us in the Christian life. We're either discouraged by the struggle or we're distracted by the fun. Now in 1 Peter, the issue is the struggle. A scattered minority in a hostile culture, very easy to lose sight of the glorious inheritance of what's coming at the finish. And I guess for our mission partners, for, for our brothers and sisters in commission, maybe for some of us this morning, that's the issue. But maybe for others this morning, maybe for some of us here, it, it, we're more like the fun runner, actually. You know, we're so consumed by what London has to offer, so busy enjoying all the comforts and the opportunities that, well, we're distracted. We've lost sight of the glorious inheritance that awaits us at the finish because there's just so much to be enjoying now. Can you see this morning that Peter's focus, his joy, his heartbeat is the finish line and the certainty of what lies ahead. That is what keeps him going. 
So first then, a future inheritance. But second, we face present suffering. Let's read from verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. So full of praise, Peter, with his eyes on the future, but he's got his feet firmly on the ground. He isn't blind to the realities because he knows, for these believers, they may have to suffer on their way home. You see, the Christian has a glorious inheritance. It will be amazing to see Jesus Christ face to face when he's finally revealed. But the challenge for us is that at the moment, this is what verse 8 is talking about, by the way, at the moment we do not see him. He remains, like our inheritance, out of sight. And so we walk by faith, not by sight. We've just been singing about that. At three times here, Peter speaks of faith. Because that is the life of the believer, isn't it? Exiled, scattered, chosen, and walking by faith. And it's no surprise then, if you think about it, if if faith is so central to the Christian life, it's no surprise then that God will want to strengthen the faith of these believers. If faith is what will get them home, God is going to want to strengthen them for the journey to make sure they get there. Are they saying cycling? Uh, you know, Chris Froome, Tour de France and all of that. If you want to be a winner, you've got to know how to suffer. So, so Chris, Chris Froome spends hours in the mountains, building his endurance, learning how to suffer. And we may have to suffer grief because of all kinds of trials, says Peter, as we make our way home to heaven. But Peter can make sense of the trials, and so can we. Because it's all down to perspective and purpose. Do you see that here? First perspective. Peter says it's only for a little while. That's how he sees our life here on earth, our our period in exile. It's just a little while. Now time out just for a moment. Of course we want to be careful with with a phrase like that. You know, for for a church contending for the gospel but but suffering as a result or uh, to someone, you know being given a hard time at work or, or you know, even just to, 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 I don't know, to grieving parents, to someone out of work, whatever it might be, to, sim- to sort of glibly say, oh, it's just a little while. No, that's not very helpful. I want to be very careful there. But the issue here is not actually, the, the, the talking point is not actually the duration of our trials, that will vary every time, but rather our perspective on trials. And Peter's perspective is eternal. So the grief that we may have to suffer has to be seen in light of our future inheritance that will last forever. And when we get our perspective right, we begin to see the purpose of our trials. Because they're given to strengthen our faith in order to prove that it is genuine. That's how it works, isn't it? You test something to find out if it's genuine. Uh, we've done running and cycling. Let's talk about cricket for a moment. As you see, I'm a man with a broad range of interests, but you know, just bear with me uh, if you're not as narrow as me. But um, if you're a cricket fan, you know, the rise of 2020 and the one-day game and all of that, that's all very exciting and it's very entertaining. It's, you know, it's all good for the game at one level. But if you're a true cricket fan, you're worried about the potential death of test cricket because it's the purest, finest form of the game. Now, why is that? 
Why do the purists love Test cricket so much? Because it's harder. I forgot Matt Barnes was here. They're, they're, they're talking cricket. This, this is working fine. That's absolutely right. It's harder. It, the unique appeal of Test cricket is, is that it is the ultimate examination of a player's technique and ability. It's, it's at test level. That's why it's called a test match. You test. Has this guy got it? Well, that is what trials are for in the life of the Christian believer. They refine, they test, and they strengthen our faith. And so they prove it to be real. And Peter says this results in praise and glory and honour for the believer when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, vindication. Vindication. Because for those who keep going, the last day will reveal that our faith in Jesus Christ is not misplaced. Our faith in Jesus Christ is not a crutch for the weak or, or, or something irrational or, or, or something because we're a community of people who just take things a bit too seriously. Now our faith in Jesus Christ will be vindicated and the whole journey with all its struggles will make sense. Perspective, it's just a little while. Purpose, it's all to strengthen our faith. Now look, clearly the question remains... Why does God allow some people to go through trials when others seem to be spared? Why is that? Now that's a big question. It isn't always a nice, neat answer. It, it, it isn't the issue here. It's a question for another day. Peter's concern here is to make sense of our trials when they come. And to do that, he explains that God uses our trials as a necessary means to get us to the finish. When we understand that, Changes the way we think about the hardships of the Christian life. So can I encourage us this morning to see clearly here the place of trials in the Christian life. Because if we can, they will strengthen us for the journey home. Marathon, not a sprint. The big idea, we need to remember where we're going. So the marathon runner, you know, around about the 18 mile mark, starting to feel it. 22 miles, might hit the wall. That's the danger at that point. And so when someone standing by the side of the road hands you a bottle of water, I guess you could think one of two things. I mean, you might think, what on earth are you giving me something to carry for? Do I look like I've got the energy to love water to the finish? I don't need this. Or you might think, brilliant, fluids, hydration, that'll get me to the next few miles. I can do this. I get why he's giving me this. This is, and you drink, you drink deep. Now, of course, it's a silly example, isn't it? Because it's obvious. We know the answer. The marathon runner knows exactly what the water's for. But that's exactly the point. We understand what it's for. And when we understand what trials are for in the Christian life, we can make sense of them. Dare I say it, we can even embrace them. We can even drink deep of them, as the runner does with water, because we know that they'll strengthen us. And that is what Peter wants us to do. And as we walk by faith and not by sight, we look forward to the day when we will see Jesus in all his glory. And we will receive the result of our faith, salvation. It's the medal at the finish line that never rusts, it never fades. And our trials strengthen us for the journey as we head towards the finish. So future inheritance, 
present sufferings. And then finally, as we finish, that does mean, I don't know if you've realised this, that does mean ours is a very privileged position. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, tried to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. So Peter now highlights the very privileged position in Bible history of these New Testament believers because he says what the Old Testament prophets did not understand, you do. And I guess this matters here because, yes, it's true, trials are meant to strengthen our faith. But you and I both know that they can have a very different result, which is we just give up. That is is an option, isn't it, when things get tough? You just give up. So Peter reminds these Christians before they do that just how privileged they are. And he explains, this is verse 10, that the Old Testament prophets didn't fully understand their own message. That is, they didn't recognise fully the identity of the Messiah, nor did they discern exactly when he would come. So none of the Old Testament prophets, for example, saw the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 and the conquering Messiah of Psalm 2 as being one and the same. Don't get me wrong, they were faithful men who spoke the word of God and they spoke of both Christ's sufferings and his glories. But they didn't have the privilege of working out and seeing exactly how it would come together in history. But Peter says, and this really is an extraordinary privilege for us, he says the Christian today can understand these things, can see how it all comes together. So verse 12, it was revealed to them, that's the prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you, New Testament believer. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you here at Christ Church Hillsfield, by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. How privileged we are. Through the work of the Spirit sent from heaven, Christian believers can understand that the Old Testament prophets we're talking about one and the same thing, the suffering servant, the all-conquering Messiah, and so we can hear the good news of Jesus Christ as Lord today. And crucially, we can see how his sufferings, and after that, his glories, work together for our salvation and our glorious inheritance. And if you're here as someone, again, this morning, perhaps not yet persuaded of the Christian faith, Can you see, maybe even for the first time, just beginning to see something this morning of how Jesus suffered in order to save us? And that as he was raised to new life and now sits in glory, so too he can give us new life, that we can look forward to glory. If we'll just put our faith in him. But of course it won't be easy. Uh, verse 11, I, I think I do if you just look at verse 11, in many, in many ways sums up, doesn't it, the Christian life, wherever we are on the map. To know Christ is to know the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that follow. Suffering now, glory later. And the purpose of that suffering is to prepare us for glory. Uh, Samuel Rutherford, uh, a Puritan pastor, writer, 17th century, uh, knew much about suffering. Uh, said famously uh, of trials in the life of the Christian 
uh, for himself, for others. This school of suffering is preparation for the king's higher house. This school of suffering is preparation for the king's higher house. That is, he understood that the purpose of suffering in the Christian life is all about preparation for heaven, for the glory to come. The big idea, faced with trials, we need to remember where we're going. So can I encourage us this morning, in your own walk with Jesus, in your life together here at Christchurch Earlsfield, and of course as we pray for our, our mission partners, let's be encouraged by our glorious inheritance, and let's be strengthened by our trials, remembering that they're given to prove the genuineness of our faith, to prepare us for glory. Encouraged and strengthened in our gospel partnership. And that means we keep reminding one another of the gospel, we keep reminding our mission partners of the gospel. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And we need to remember where we're going. And so we keep encouraging one another to do that. Let me pray for us as we close. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. And we want to pray as we think of our mission partners further afield, as we think of uh, commission churches across London, as we think of our life uh, together as people following Jesus here in this part of London, that you would help us to see the living hope that is ours in Jesus Christ, the glorious inheritance that is ours at the finish line. And would you help us therefore to remember where we're going, would you give us, we pray, an eternal perspective on our trials? Would we understand that they're given to strengthen our faith, that we would make it to the finish? And to help us, we pray, to press on in following Jesus. Amen.